We are losing full-time population. We lost our congressional seat. We're seeing educational costs go up in the region as a result of losing that diversified population, as a result of losing young families living here. Hello, you are listening to the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. This is Lisa Gonzalez. Without a doubt, rural areas in America struggle with connectivity. With the exception of those served by rural cooperatives or those that have deployed their own municipal networks, many in small towns rely on satellite, slow DSL, and even dial-up. Western Massachusetts is no exception. This week, Chris talks with Monica Webb, spokesperson and chair of the board of Wired West. Wired West is a cooperative of western rural towns in Massachusetts that have banded together to improve connectivity in the region with fiber. Monica describes the organization, its goals and struggles, and how the plan has changed over the past four years. Take a look at their website, wiredwest.net, to learn about the communities that are members and to get news about the project. As a reminder, we want to encourage you to donate at muninetworks.org or ilsr.org to help us continue our work. Every little bit helps bring this podcast to you each week. Now here are Chris and Monica talking about the Wired West Cooperative. Welcome to another edition of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell. Today I'm talking with Monica Webb, chair of the board and spokesperson for Wired West in rural western Massachusetts. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Chris. Glad to be here. Yes, and it was fun to see you. We we just saw each other down in Austin, Texas for the Broadband Community Summit. I think it's one of the, the premier events of the year, and uh, I think it was, it was inspiring for me. I hope you enjoyed it, uh, except for the air travel I know you had a problem with. Yes, it was a bit of a transplant in automobiles getting down there, but it's always good to go to the Broadband Community Summit and hear what other communities are doing, um, challenges, innovations, uh, new technologies, everything is always great to, to get the update and hear from all of the communities across the U.S. Was there anything from that event that you took away and what was like a great moment for you from that event? I think that the most compelling part of that event for me as it relates to Wired West was Tom Wheeler's keynote speech extremely powerful. Um, He really gets it. He truly understands what needs to be done to gigify America, and he understands even how this needs to be executed. I think my favorite quote from him was when he said, we need to embrace the American idea of communities banding together to solve their own problems collaboratively, which is you know, ultimately the ethos of Wired West and why these small rural communities formed a municipal cooperative because the private sector hadn't, didn't want to serve us, hadn't served us, uh, under their business models would never serve us. So we had to take it upon ourselves to solve the problem and we spent the last four years doing intensive research into the financing, into the modeling, uh, into policy and all of the, the market considerations, the pricing, the packaging, we've done studies, et cetera. Everything that we need to, to launch a complex telecommunications initiative and bring products to market that will ultimately serve our community's needs. 
And it's worth noting that there was a, a contingent of AT&T folks in the back, and I don't think they had the same reaction to that point as uh, as you did, and I did, certainly. Um, so, unfortunately, not the entire room agreed with him, but I, I thought it was a great moment. I did note, I did note that there uh, were some folks, when the rest of us gave him a standing ovation, that didn't stand up. But ultimately, that's because the municipal network model um, really serves the needs of every other business sector aside from private sector telecom. And it, you know, it becomes a challenge for them. They have to step up their game to be competitive. And they have enjoyed this quasi-monopoly status for so long, and they have not put the kind of capital investments into their infrastructure for so long that need to be done for the wealth of every other industry, for the well-being of our citizens. So, um, you know, I can see that that having municipal networks engaged and enabled is a threat to some of the private sector participants. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. You know, I feel like we don't need to have Rockefeller's approval of Teddy Roosevelt to tell us that he was a good president in many ways, right? Um so anyway, I want to get the conversation back to Wired West, and, and you definitely did a good job introducing some of the, the spirit behind it. Uh, but for people who aren't familiar, you know, what is the territory like in western Massachusetts? A lot of people are really surprised to learn that in the state of Massachusetts, which is not a large state, that we too suffer from a lack of universal, affordable, uh, high-capacity broadband. So it's basically the left-hand side of the state, shall we say, and in the more rural towns, so not the, the larger cities, we've been bypassed by the cable companies. So there is, you know, there's no cable available. We have pockets of DSL or perhaps um, LTE or in some cases fixed wireless for certain pockets of people. Uh, which doesn't meet the long-term economic development needs of the region, doesn't meet the, um, the needs from a social welfare standpoint. So there are, in fact, 45 towns in western Massachusetts that have no cable service that are in need of some kind of broadband solution. Wired West has, of those, 30, of those 45 towns, uh, about 35 of them are members of the Wired West Cooperative. We formed in 2011. Uh, it was a solution that was created by the towns for the towns, you know, solve our common problem, and leverage the leadership, expertise, influence, and ultimately the economies of scale of all of our small towns acting together. So fortunately for us, in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, there was legislation that was initially introduced in the early 20th century to enable towns that had a similar challenge, faced a similar challenge with lack of critical infrastructure when they couldn't get electricity to all towns or at least to all, all premises in rural towns. And actually, let me let me just note that I was just reading a book, and I may have I may be confusing this because I read I read too many things simultaneously. But wasn't um you had a, a wealthy industrialist in the Berkshires that uh, brought uh, elect- electrification to his villa at least, and uh, um and then I, I suppose that the surrounding areas were pretty frustrated that they did not have it. Right, I mean, a lot of people don't realize uh, that the transformer was you know the concept of the transformer was actually invented. 
uh, right here in the Berkshires by William Stanley in my neighboring town, Great Barrington. That was where the first demonstration of um, electricity via streetlights was seen. So it is, uh, we do have a legacy of uh, entrepreneurship here, and that spirit is still here. But as you know, you know, as well as anyone that's involved on, in this issue, that having adequate bandwidth really drives innovation and, and can attract innovation to your region. So that really, we're an area that is a little over two hours from both New York and Boston. We have uh, great things to offer anyone who'd want to live here in terms of scenery, in terms of quality of life, in terms of the culture, but we're missing the access to high-quality telecommunications infrastructure throughout the region. You know, there are pockets in the region that have cable, uh, but we really need to step up our game um, if we want to provide the kind of job opportunities to have a diverse population here. We want to provide the kind of education and health care that we here believe our citizens deserve. And one of the things that I really like about Wired West is that you have a policy of not leaving anyone behind. You know, people from other areas not familiar with the Commonwealth may be confused, but towns are, are more like, well, I think of them more like tiny counties. I mean, you just, the towns are comprise all of Massachusetts. There's no area of Massachusetts that's not in a town, if I'm correct. Right. They did largely eliminate county government years ago. So, each town really govern, governs its own municipality itself. And certainly the towns that are members of Wired West are small towns. Some of them are as small as 200 households. And these towns could not take on themselves, you know, say what Leverett did, to create their own fiber network. They just don't have the resources. They don't have the, uh, the local championing necessary to plan and execute this kind of thing and do it in a way that serves everyone. Uh, so that's one of the other benefits of us having this, this cooperative is we have the access to expertise of multiple towns together. I look at our leadership team and we've got people from you know, all over the region. We've got a financial expert from the town of Cummington. We've got a legal expert from the town of Washington. We have a, a technology expert from the town of Peru. So bringing all of these, you know, the various expertise from the various towns together was an important strength uh, for us working together as a cooperative. And it, you know, when we move forward as a cooperative, we are not going to leave anyone behind. We are, our, the, our intention is to provide service to every premise that requests it. It's been four years then since you've established Wired West. And I'm, I'm always curious in an effort like this, you know, how, how do you keep your spirits up? And, and uh, you know, what, what's changed over those four years? Well, what's primarily changed is initially we were looking at uh, financing the entire cost ourselves. So we looked at the various financing options out there, uh, and you know it just became it became clear that it was going to be a real challenge to finance the entire cost of the network ourselves. And about two years ago, what was proposed by the Deval Patrick administration was some additional monies to go towards last mile. And that really, when you, when you applied that, which will be about 35% of the cost of, of these fiber networks, uh, fiber networks in our towns, it really made a huge difference to the financial modeling. It did also mean that we had to 
somewhat go back to the drawing board in terms of the modeling to determine um, a model that worked for both the state and for the towns. Not only did we both agree to the modeling and the assumptions of the modeling, uh, but also how that would be executed. So there has been a lot of new planning that has transpired as a result of the state coming forward with, um, with, with some seed money for these projects. Let's come back to that in a second. But let me just ask you, is it different in 2015 to not have high-quality Internet access than it was in, in 2012? Or is it one of those things where you're kind of like, it sucked then and it sucks now, it's no big difference? Um, what, what's it like? That's a really key point because I think initially when we started this, we, you know, people were inconvenienced by the lack of broadband. But it was really the early adopters among, among the towns that were banging the drum and saying, listen, we've got to do this, we've got to move forward, fiber is the infrastructure of the future, we, we have to make this happen. And what has really happened over the last two years is, you know, first of all, in our region, we've seen Leverett say, you know, we're going to finance this entire thing ourselves and we're going to move forward and do it. So towns have said, oh, wow, you know, there, there, there are municipalities even in our region that are willing to move forward with this and make it happen. And secondly, our towns have really started to see the evidence of, uh, you know, in, in a negative way of not having broadband. Um, we've, we're losing full-time population. We lost our congressional seat. We're seeing educational costs go up in the region as a result of losing that diversified population, as a result of losing young families living here. Uh, we have seen people you know, not get jobs because either companies are moving out of the region or they don't have sufficient ability to telecommute. Uh, and we've even seen people unable to sell their homes because folks come and when they come and they look at a house here, they say, don't even show us a house that doesn't have broadband. And they used to say, you know, broadband. Now they're saying, don't even show us a house in a town that doesn't have cable. So not only are they opting out of homes in our region that don't have DSL, they're now opting out of homes with DSL, so they're opting out of entire towns in the region. So our towns are really now understanding this is critical to move forward. It's going to take time to build to finance, to plan, and to build, and we're already suffering now, so it really is urgent that the towns make this happen the sooner the better. So I want to turn back to the the financing issue now, and I, and I think it's worth noting, I, I'll admit that for years I've been on a, a bit of a hobby horse of trying to get people to understand that if you build middle mile, it doesn't necessarily result in last mile networks because the cost, the, the cost prohibitive nature of last mile networks is the capital cost. And having a good middle mile network doesn't really change that factor. Although middle mile can be essential for having a good business plan if you can afford the capital costs. So when the Massachusetts Broadband Institute proposed to build this ring around the state, you know, I, I was I was a bit suspicious that it would not result in a lot of last mile development. And I have to give the the state a lot of credit because as you noted, they they built the middle mile network and I think that's doing a wonderful job of serving some of the schools and the libraries and people, the entities that really needed service that didn't have it. 
But now they've t- they've come back and they've they're writing a check to try and help solve the last mile problem in some of these areas. So let's let's pick back up with that. And uh, and can you just step back and describe um, how this works? Are the city's going to put up some money? The state's going to put up some money? Uh, how's it envisioned right now? Yeah, well, I will say that, you know, the financial model is fairly complex and has been crafted with the assistance of national and international consultants that were brought on by the Mass Broadband Institute, um, which is the entity that built the middle mile and is is coming up with some of the last mile funding, uh, as well as our own experts at Wired West and some additional sort of vetting that's happening with local CFOs and specialists in the technology area. So the financial modeling is is relatively complex. Essentially, from a financing standpoint, the MBI has about 40 million that they will out. They're going to allocate to solving the last mile. It's being separated into into two pots. One that will go towards uh, regional costs. So things like the engineering for all the towns, the project management for all the towns of the construction. And then a second pot that will go to, um, that is allocated to each individual town. And I'll leave the allocation process out of it because it gets a little complex. But essentially the way that they're allocating the money means that they're putting up somewhere around 35% of the cost, uh, which is over a third of the cost. So it really is important to the towns um, to recognize that that's a significant subsidy. That is the towns being able to own and operate long-term gen- multi-generational infrastructure with a third of a discount on the cost. So the towns will be putting up the rest and that will be raised through general obligation bonds that are authorized town by town because that's how, uh, that's how financing is done here. And the financing, you know, the way that that we finance things in small towns, whether it be, uh, you know, dog park, a fire truck, or a fiber network, is through property taxes. What we are doing with Wired West that is perhaps different from other models, and, uh, you know, Chris, you and I may, may differ on this particular point. Wired West is going to endeavor when we can cover our operational, all of our operational costs out of revenues, to return excess revenues to the towns to cover their debt service. So that's not going to happen immediately. Our projections are showing that that will happen, you know, years years five or six. But that's a much easier political sell to the towns to say this ideally will not impact your tax base, i.e. raising taxes, for the entire length of the bond, the 20 years of the bond, it will cut the monies for debt service will eventually be covered out of revenues from Wired West. Well, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, what would the alternative be? The alternative would be, uh, you know, how Leverett has looked at this, which is they said, we think this is important enough that we're just going to cover it via property taxes for the duration of the bond. And we're not going to model it so that we're expecting revenues to cover uh, the debt service. 
Right. I think that well, what's one of those things about the Institute for Local Self-Reliance is is we celebrate the ability of towns to make those decisions for themselves. And and, you know, we uh, we don't insist that uh, that towns do any specific thing. So um, I think it's just great to see these towns finding a solution that works, because at the end of the day, I may have a bunch of theories, but we want to have Internet in towns regardless of what I think. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Well, you know, I will say that you have been in, so incredibly supportive and an important resource for all of these municipalities, uh, not only Wired West municipalities, but all over the country, municipalities that are considering this and, you know, initially don't really understand where to start. I always direct them to uh, muninetworks.org. It's a great place to find reports and get a feel for why this is so important and how communities can start going about making that happen. Well, I deeply appreciate that. And I'll say similarly that I think a lot of communities have looked at what you're doing out there um, in terms of Wired West. And I think, you know, Monica, you've, you've, um, you're one of a number of people that have given so much time and effort, volunteered it to this effort, um, that it's always worth celebrating this sort of, I mean, this is what makes uh, things happen. This is what makes history happen the way I see it is people, it's not so much getting paid to do it, but going above and beyond to make sure communities benefit. But one of the things that you've really touched on, you've harped on, I'd say, in a good way, is that there needs to be community engagement. And and I'm wondering, you know, if you look at places like, um, there's some places where municipal fiber networks have been built without a lot of community engagement, and, and it's worked in some places. Um, but in other places, I think we've seen a lack of community engagement that's hurt. So from your perspective, why is community engagement important? Community engagement is really important because communities need to own their own success. So, the you know, I'll use my town. You know, you go on the town's website and they're supporting the Wired West Network. You go into town and there are signs supporting Wired West on the town marquee. Uh, you know, local, local establishments have put up signs. People are calling their neighbors, making sure that they have signed up for service and are supporting the build-out. Um, it really requires local investment, not just financial. Uh, it requires local investment. People need to, need to realize this is their network, this is our network. And for it to succeed, we have to own it and support it. And I think when an outside entity comes in and says, we're going to build this network, particularly in our towns that have been so marginalized by the private sector phone companies who have no interest of serve, you know, to serve everyone or even the folks they're already serving in a way that is uh, in any way robust. So, so people really need to own it in order for it to be successful. But what was really interesting to me was about a year ago attending a workshop at the FCC. There were various panel discussions and the participants in the panels were public and private sector uh, telecommunications firms, they were, um, and, and municipal networks, as well as state and federal agencies. And the overwhelming message that came through was that local, and this is from all entities, local engagement is critical to the success of local networks. Um, so th this is something that I've seen evidence of myself. I, you know, I've seen how proud everybody is 
in Chattanooga, how proud everyone is in Lafayette, how proud everyone is in the town of Leverett, that they've made this happen themselves and that their, their citizens and their businesses and their institutions have access to the best Internet the world has to offer. Uh, and that's why, you know, that's why they were successful in bringing that to market. And here at Wired West, we believe exactly the same, that it's really important to have local investment financially and otherwise in order to ensure the success of a gigabit network. And I, I would think I would take that a little bit farther to say that, that my hope would be that, that as we see communities come together in that way, that they're taking ownership of other issues, right? And I, and I suspect that this is what you'd see as well, um, that any other issue that comes down the pike, they're, they're ready and they're ready to engage in local government and, and, and it's basically um, to make government better because government with disinterested citizens, well, it's not democratic. Right. Right. And, you know, and I'll go back to Tom Wheeler. I mean, he was the one who cited the fact that, you know, for, for towns, this is really an American tradition of, you know, the communities solving their problems collaboratively. Uh, you know, this is why the, the, the statute that we're using in Massachusetts was actually, you know, as I mentioned, over 100 years old, and it came into play because towns couldn't get electric service. The private sector electric companies didn't want to build it. And so we're, and telecommunications was added in the mid-90s. So we're actually interestingly using a statute that was implemented for the same reasons um, so that local communities could empower themselves and take charge of their own futures and the prospects offered by electric service. And now we're looking at the same situation, almost identically, where towns don't have access to the next critical infrastructure, a telecommunications infrastructure, and they are taking it on themselves, using that same statute um, to build out these networks for the future of their communities. Well, as we end the show, is there any final thoughts you'd like to share with us? I think one thing that's really important as communities consider this is um, there's not really a one-size-fits-all model in terms of how, how to successfully deploy this. Um, the one thing that is universal is, as, a, as we've just been talking about, local engagement. Uh, but, you know, it, some towns have a, a municipal utility, which is a great benefit. Some don't. Some are greenfield. They're starting from scratch. Some are small rural towns. Some are suburban. And some are urban municipalities. And that, in, you know, that impacts the kind of model. And it also impacts your access to financing. Um, you may have local stakeholders, economic development agencies, state agencies that are interested and willing to support the initial planning um, and even subsidize the build-out. Uh, so I think what's really important is when municipalities approach this is to really do the research. Uh, start with, I always, as I said, always go to muninetworks.org, read some of those reports. CTC Technology also has some great reports on their website as well. Read those reports and find out, you know, what, what's being done, what can be done. Look for case studies for relevant that are, can be compared uh, that are relevant to your municipality. Um, but overall, don't lose sight of the fact that this is incredibly important for the future of our, uh, our quality of life and our businesses in America to have access universally to this kind of gigabit infrastructure. And, you know, I look forward to hopefully in 40 years looking back 
and seeing it as ubiquitously deployed as electric and telephone infrastructure are today. Yeah, and I hope you don't have to wait too long to look back at that time. <laughs> Likewise. You know, it'd be really nice if in 10 years we think, wow, we're really glad we finally got everyone to have high quality internet access. <laughs> right. Very true. So thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Send us your ideas for the show. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org. You can follow us on Twitter. We are at Community Nets. We also have a Facebook page. Go there and like us. Thank you to Person for the song Blues Walk, licensed through Creative Commons, and thank you for listening. Have a great day. Mm-hmm.